Gotta find those Christian gamers. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're live. Welcome. Welcome back, everybody. Chat for God podcast. This is the second podcast with my new co-host, trial run co-host. She's not obligated. If she doesn't like it, I'll let her go in a few episodes. No hard feelings. It's trial run. But this is our second with Marin Nelson. So welcome, Marin. Thanks for joining me a second time. I guess the first one was not too painful. Are you into this so far? Or how are you feeling about this podcast so far? I'm excited. I'm amped. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, how are you doing? You know, how was your week? Any interesting, uh, you know, experiences with God? Did you like see an angel or anything Ooh. interesting to report back on the, on the, on the God front? No, I thought a lot about faith this morning, actually. Oh, do tell. I, I was thinking, I mean, we have a new president. Turns out that was today. Oh yeah. Kind of big news. Kind of big news. Um, and it struck me his tagline is keep the faith. And I'd actually completely forgotten that. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know much about your political meetings. I think my understanding is that you, you like kind of, kind of avoid, avoid politics a little. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I have no political opinions. Zero <laughs> political opinions. I'm yeah. very excited to be, to be, uh, led in this country by a man that I find endearing. And I think that, uh, I think that faith is about the right, the right thing we need in our, in our democracy right now. So. All right. Excellent. We already have something we strongly disagree on. This is perfect. I mean, I, Ooh, I got, yes. <laughs> I mean, it, I don't have, I don't have any ill will towards Joe Biden, but I'm kind of like, come on, seriously, this like super old guy who's kind of dying, no disrespect to him. Uh, I, it's hard for me to get very amped about him, honestly. But like I said, I have no political opinions. I'm indifferent to politics. Uh, my opinions don't matter. And I'm happy for the for the government to do whatever it wants, pretty much. Yeah. No, I was totally with you. I was incredibly confused by the choice of Biden. And I was just a, I was a brat about it. I was fully like, guys, I mean, we're going to lose. Like, have you seen the man? Have you ever thought anything interesting about him? He's been here for a while. Um but now I feel a tremendous sense of gratitude to have uh, been told that I was not equipped to make that choice, actually. I feel like his demeanor is, is appropriate for the, for the time. I'm ready, I'm ready for a non-Trumpian candidate. I feel, like, I feel like his demeanor is appropriate for the U.S. government. In other words, slow, dying, useless, and uh, <laughs> I'm at peace with that. I'm a I'm a Texan, Justin. I'm a I'm a patriot. We're gonna we're gonna come come to this at, at at various points. So, what were your feelings about faith that you had this week? This week, um, this, this morning, I think you said whatever you said. Yeah, I think. I mean, I tend to be an optimist, verging on possible, possibly an idealist. Uh, and the rhetoric on the internet really gets me down. Like my aspiration for my Twitter is just that I say kind of pithy but meaningful to me inspirational things <laughs> um so i was very much like maybe i can tweet about how if you have faith the side of a mustard seed you can make mountains move you know <laughs> it's wow. like bad this is why i'm not really on twitter very much my my tweets would be bad i don't know i think you maybe have potential as a as a mega church entrepreneur with that kind of motivational insight you know if, if you're willing you to get on a big stage and ask for donations i think i think you might have a future in that joel Austin style Joel, yeah. I mean, I might be equipped for that. You just got to have the charisma, the totally. extemporaneous charisma. Also, wait, good, good shout out on the Twitter. Uh, get, building some clout for yourself on on the Twitter. Always a good way to use podcast. I, I approve <laughs> of this. 
people should follow. I'm fact, trying. Don't follow me. I'm trying. I'm trying. Boom. There you go. Also, I'm disparaging. With the, I'm funny. With, I'm funny. No, I'm not. With this live stream tool that I use, StreamYard, you can do uh, kind of like zoom in things. Like, so if you see me disappear, um, it doesn't mean I'm disappearing. I'm just making you the solo. Look at that. Now you're the, now you're the focus. Your mic so we, just cut out for me again. Oh, um, okay. Hang on. Um, well, that's probably because you were in nope. the solo mode. Now you're still not hearing me? Can't hear you. Oh, boy. I wonder what it could be. Um, yeah, that's like... We've been having technical difficulties today. Um, yeah, this is like a bug of some kind. Mm-hmm. It's not... I don't think it's me. There we go. No, everything's... Are people watching? Uh, can you hear me, people? Checking I don't know. Video. Testing. No, tested. Uh, it's weird because I am getting... SOL. Yeah, it's very strange. It might be... It might be your headphones because people in the chat are saying they can hear me. What if you try take? What if you try yeah. unplugging your yeah. headphones? And, yeah. No. Yeah, people say they can I hear me. Hmm. Um, Is as it should be. I'll edit this out later when we post to the podcast. We could try talking without hearing each other. That could be really interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's my headphones. I can hear. I did the test. Hmm. Weird. All right. Well, I guess there's some kind of bug. Hmm. We could do one of those like live reactions where you can just see our emotions as you display a video. Yeah, this is weird because we're both talking and uh, people are hearing us, but we're but you're not hearing me. I'm hearing you. Um, maybe exit the room and come back in. Typing in the chat. Yeah, we'll see. Sorry, folks. We're getting our technical infrastructure figured out. But uh, apologize for the inconvenience. We will get this stuff sorted. In the meantime, I'm looking at the chat. If anyone wants to, uh, you know, uh, say something interesting, I will, uh, you know, take questions or expound on various topics. Let's see. Uh, all right, you're back. Are I you can, hearing me? Yes. You're hearing me. I can hear you. Okay. So in the future, if that happens, if you're, if all of a sudden you can't hear me, just exit the room and come back in, and I'll like cover for you in the meantime. Sound great. good? Sweet. Sounds great. Yeah, so what else is new for you? I was hanging out with Orthodox Christians last night. Do you know many Orthodox? Yeah. I don't I don't know folks who are Orthodox. Yeah, they're cool. They're very similar to Catholics. Um honestly, like I almost I feel like I kind of like Orthodox people a little better in terms of the people. I mean, I don't I don't know that many Roman I'm not like actually friends with many Roman Catholics. Um, but so I don't have much to compare to. So I kind of take that back because I, I can't really compare. But basically what I'm trying to say is the Orthodox Christians I've met and hung out with in real life. They're quite cool. They're generally cool. Like, I don't know, uh, maybe just the ones I am exposed to are particularly cool, but I find like a lot of some Christians, like especially Protestants, no offense, are often like very devout Protestants are often like boring to talk with. Like they feel like they can't talk about like radical ideas. Sometimes they have like very Mm. closed minds sometimes, Uh, not all. That seems so contrary to what you would expect, doesn't it? Why would you expect otherwise? Or what are you thinking? I mean, when you hear even the word orthodox, you know, you don't, you're oh, not right, immediately yeah. hit over the head with the idea that these people are open-minded and, you know, into like radical, radical ideas versus Protestant. I mean, come on, you're, you're, you're nailing a treatise to the doors of an old institution. Like that's meant to be the, the founding spirit of Protestantism. That's a great point. You're right. It is counterintuitive. It's the opposite of what you'd expect, but I don't know what it is. Um, I think, I don't know. Well, I think what it is, is that Protestants, get uh, like especially evangelical protestants they get they get their heads wrapped into like some crazy ideas since they don't have a supreme leader like the pope to keep them in line they can kind of get they they get into some weird ideas and then they feel like very constrained ironically 
But whereas when you submit to the absolute authority of, of Papa, then you actually ironically feel more freedom to like think and speak a little bit more openly because you're like, Oh, I, it's not my job to like keep, make the rules. Like that's Papa's job. I, I, I submit to Papa, which allows me to play around with ideas because it's not up to me to like hold down the rules. Whereas in your, if you're like a small evangelical, like cult, no offense. Uh, I guess that's offensive, offensive, but uh, no offense intended. I mean, some small evangelical sects are kind of like cults. Uh, then it's like you and your crew have to basically like maintain the rules and enforce them. Uh, and that's a lot of pressure. So I think you feel more obligation to like really constrain what you say to reflect what you think the rules should be. Does that make sense? That's just a theory. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. It does make sense that if you had more authority over the kind of like uh, doctrine and how that would show up in your actions, that you would be, be, be monitoring that at some level, which I think is probably healthy. Like an important piece of theology is watching in practice what is done against what is said. And I think a lot of the critiques of maybe orthodoxy or Roman Catholicism in general are that there's a, you know, a lot that is said, a lot that's theoretical, uh, but relatively, relatively less accountability to the boots on ground. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point too. I think also in the Catholic tradition, there's like, I just think stronger intellectual traditions, like the Jesuits in particular are well known for, you know, being super badass and committed scholars and, and thinkers. Whereas the evangelical sects in America tend to be like just less, less bookish, let's say. I actually, I didn't think about this before, but I really like that our biases are for these different, you see, you seem like more Catholic, you know, I've, I've been taught in the ways of why Catholicism doesn't make as much sense, but I'm I'm very amenable to a lot of a lot of your learnings. I just I will I will say I have like a deeply ingrained bias from childhood against Catholicism in particular. That's great. That's gonna make for a great podcast. It gives us tons yeah. of content to uh, the, to mine. The thing I do want to say in favor of your point about Papa, um, I I read this book recently, which is great, called The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. Do you know this book? I've heard of it, but I've never read it. So he he wrote it in the 70s. I think it was a Pulitzer Prize winner in like 1977, which is crazy because there are there are pieces of it which are, uh, I mean, no one no one would ever write contemporarily um, because they're offensive, and uh, it's shocking that that it was like institutionally backed as a Pulitzer as a Pulitzer Prize winner because of some of the some of the chapters. But a big piece of his theory is about the importance of transference. So the book is actually, he's he's kind of a psychologist. He's talking about psychology and religion is a lot of the foundation. And he talks about how in psychotherapy, of course, you have this transference relationship with your therapist, where oftentimes you will like actually fall in love with this person, et cetera. And what's essentially happening is that you're projecting a lot onto them about your values, who you are, and and you're looking for kind of absolution of a kind right from from that person um and he talks about how in the micro when we see this in psychotherapy it, it, it's just like one example of actually our human propensity to require these like transference figures in general um be it from our political leaders or from our religious leaders um to like take care of us and basically let us feel okay about ourselves um so i you know there's definitely there's definitely something to 
the transference relationship in in religious i mean and in and in our conceptions of god our, our tendency to anthropomorphize god our, our our like desire to do that etc could all be kind of reduced to this like deep need to to do this like transference we need an object to hold our values at, at a at a in a kind of gestaltian single way yeah yeah i like that i mean that's to me one of the things that's cool about god is that it's like you can transfer onto god and that's good to do because freaking god like there's no harm in transferring onto god but well, i think when people transfer onto other people that's when it's kind of like a little dubious and that's so and that's also why i think like the pope is kind of cool because it's like ideally all of your transference should be onto god because that's god is like a, a conceptually perfect entity so to 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 locate your transference onto God is healthy, I think. Whereas, but then we have this kind of natural tendency to transfer onto people and mm. to project things onto people. So I think the genius of Catholicism is kind of like, since this is an inevitable tendency, just have one guy who's like super powerful and let people transfer onto him, but make him like far away. You don't really have access to him uh, and he doesn't really have access to you. So a lot of people think like the Pope is, you know, controlling and this like authoritarian Catholic structure. But like the Pope doesn't fucking know what I'm doing. <laughs> they can't monitor you all these the people word. around. What? You said the F word. Oh yeah. Sorry. I almost, you know, I was thinking about that. I kind of want to get rid of that rule. Cause it's, I mean, maybe it's a good, it's probably good. It's probably good, but I feel like I can't really be myself if I can't occasionally drop the F bomb. I feel, okay. but maybe it's wholesome to, to not, maybe it's wholesome to try that. We can, we'll keep that as a live, as a live question anyway. Okay. Um, but thank you for, thank you for pointing it out. I appreciate it. You're keeping me honest and uh, that, I appreciate that. Uh, you're making an, you're making a, you're making me a better Christian, wholesome man. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, but what was I saying? The Pope, right? Like uh, the Pope doesn't know what I'm doing. So it's really not that oppressive. It's like, I think it makes sense to have one dude who gets all of the transference. If you're going to project stuff onto a people, at least make it one person who you don't have close contact with. With the evangelical groups, it's like you're projecting transference onto this like one little local charismatic leader of like 20 people in your church. To me, that's super sketchy and kind of dangerous. Like that's what kind of creeps me out about evangelical groups is it's like these small, like little 20 person churches in like the middle of nowhere. Like whoever is the leader of that church has really dangerous power. And it's usually like a dude. And there's usually, there's often, you know, like uh, abuse and stuff like that. Whereas make that one person who gets all the power, like some distant far off figure and put him in like a really unique, beautiful white gown and have him like go on tours and that's like a healthy, that's a better system in my mind. But what do you, I mean, what's your take? Give me like, what, what do you think is the dumbest thing about Catholicism or what's like the best thing about evangelical groups that I don't understand? Well, the thing that comes to mind is that, I mean, you think you think in general about, you know, doing good in theory, then there's doing good in practice. And I think in practice, if you're, if you're living in a Christ-like way, you are doing unto others Right. And uh, it, is, it is it is evident in the way that you interact with other human beings on the ground. And I think the beautiful thing about community and the centrality of community in Protestantism in a way that is sort of self-created and does have some autonomy uh, is is that that like at the, at the at the level of a community in my in my view is like where your values actually show up and really live and are held to account in practice um, and I think that's the kind of life-sustaining part of religious, or that's a big piece of a life-sustaining part of religious practice. That's hard to that's hard to get outside of religious practice. Right. Yeah. So you should maybe tell us a little bit more. You you talked about it last week, but I'd love to learn a little bit more about like how exactly do you what exactly is like your 
how would you describe your denomination? I mean, I know you, you mm-hmm. kind of like are still working out how you even relate to your relationship to God and how you like think about that or describe that. But like, if you, if you were pressed right now, like, how do you say that? Ooh, there's definitely not a denomination that I identify with. I think I've probably taken my Protestantism a little too far <laughs> and my relationship with God and with Christ is now very individual. And I don't know who I can commune with, which is part of what's really interesting to me about this space is mm. I, I, I know that there are other people who, who feel that way. Um, and an important piece of real communion is either the collective understanding that you each have like pretty different relationships with God and that, that that's okay. And like the, the, the safe, you're in a safe space for that. And I think Unitarian Universalists accomplishes more of a space like that, where there's a, a true diversity of, um, of things which are taken to be true, like empirically true versus sort of true in the narrative and useful sense of, of, of being true, et cetera. Um, but a lot of denominations divide themselves on that idea of like, we, we collectively hold these things to be true. And that's baseline for our, our sense of safety and ability to share in this space. Um, I think uh, this is is one of the churches that I'm considering switching to. This is, uh, the Lakewood church of Joel Austin. Look at that. Does that not look exciting? And you know what? It scares the shit out of me. Dude, it is scary. And, but you know what, uh, is interesting about this. So Joel Austin's church, like I said, it's called the Lakewood church and it's described on the Wikipedia page describes it as a, uh, non-denominational Christian mega church. Oh, it's in Houston, Texas. That's I could go there. Oh, I have to go there. I have to do a little road trip. Um, and yeah, I mean, I have to admit this is super intriguing. Like I bet you it's so exhilarating to be out of service in this place. And, uh, that's both powerful, but also this is kind of the attraction and also the the terror of non-denominational evangelicalism. Like you can just build a whole charismatic cult around yourself, make a ton of money and do it however you want. And if you're good at it, you can like do a big thing like this that probably makes tons of people happy. Like the awkward thing about these Joel Osteen megachurches, these types of like pastors, the awkward thing about them is they, pro- in terms of like emotional effectiveness, they probably do have very positive effects on the people. Like the people probably feel, they probably walk out of these services feeling like so full of God. It's amazing. Uh, of course they like give all their money to Joel Osteen or whatever, but uh, that's, these are the tensions and contradictions of uh, evangelical non-denominational Protestantism in my view. What do you think? Uh, would you go to this church? I mean, I'm wrecked by anxiety just looking at this image, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like my How does it make you feel? What, what do you think? What do you think and feel when you look at this? Well, you, you you just said, I think people are walking out of this just, uh, whatever, floored by God. And I can't, I can't help but look at this and say, you know, certainly they're floored by something, but I think it's probably much more, this is the transference space, right? Like this is a known quantity transference space. Celebrities do this, like musicians create brands of themselves, which have ideas that people endear themselves to and find solace in, and that's real. But I think this meaningfully blurs the line between what a relationship with God is that you can in a non-transferring way live away from that space versus like just the phenomenon, um, which isn't necessarily about God. Not that it's not that it's not either, but. Right. Right. But would you go to a service like this? Like for one time? One time. 
You're talking to someone who went to the University of Texas at Austin and went to all of 10 minutes of one college football game ever. So uh, what, you don't like large, intense groups? No. But, but I mean, if I asked you to do it as a favor or just as a group. I like, would, I would, I would. All right. I think I think we need to do, we need to go together and make a vlog about it. It would be awesome for the podcast. I mean, I'm definitely, I, I would have to, I'd have to drink afterwards. <laughs> Um, I think I, I don't during, know. I, I can feel you like drink in the church. I don't know. <laughs> it's a good question. That's a very good question. I feel like um, you could easily go to this type of thing, feeling like high and mighty, like all these all these dummies giving their money to Joel Austin for this, you know, bullshit preacher. Sorry, forget forget the uh, cursing. And uh, you go to one of them, and you walk out, and you're just like, I'm in. I'm in for life. This is awesome. I mean, it's basically like Tony Robbins. You know, his whole thing. It's like. This is, it's basically extremely powerful motivational speaking, but with a God bent to it. And I mean, it's easy to look down on it, but I, I totally get it. It's like, it probably just makes you feel amazing. Um, I, I would be open-minded to it. Um, or what, I, okay, here's what I think. I think the Pope should start doing this kind of thing. And that would be epic. Like the Pope should build the most profitable, intense, like, live stream podcast youtube like mega church but also make it somewhere somewhere like in the vatican make a massive mega church that can sit like twenty thousand people or something like wh whatever the biggest stadium ever built is the pope should build a stadium that size and uh make it um like bigger and better and do this that that would be epic so here like from your destiny god crowned you with favor he put a robe of honor on you you have royal blood flowing through your veins. Don't let limited thinking keep you from your destiny. God found you with favor. He put a robe of honor on you. You have royal blood flowing through your veins. Don't let limited thinking keep you from your... I mean, what's up with the royal blood? Where does that come from? <laughs> what is uh they're like the holy spirit is really too complicated of an idea. Let's just go with royal blood. <laughs> Wait, you were hearing that, right, by the way? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, it's basically just in Tony Robbins plus God. I mean, it's a, it's an unstoppable business model really. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I bet, I bet he's like, I bet he's a true believer too. I bet, I bet he believes that he's doing the Lord's work 100% and has absolutely no compunctions about, you know, is this a dubious, is this a dubious model I'm running? What do you think? Yeah, It's so funny. So I want to, I want to be very clear. I do not have I don't believe I have any sense of judgment of the people who participate in and get value out of this kind of congregation. I fully, I fully appreciate that a lot of these biases are mine. I don't go to that many like gigantic concerts when I have, they've been cool in some ways. Um, and you know, a lot of this is like personality level disposition. I think I do. Oh, are we going to do another? If you want to, I'm just queuing it up. I'm, I'm. Uh, you can keep talking though. I'm just queuing it up for uh, when you're done with your thought. Here, you want some inspiration, Marin? Do you need some inspiration? There's just there's something about like there's a difference. Okay, actually, I have this theory. I call it the the art to entertainment spectrum. Um, it's kind of silly, but me, basically, if if something so so we've been very accustomed in modernity to being entertained we consume something we sit we, we stand in front of something we expect it to just immediately feed us right and if within sub 10 seconds it doesn't feed us we move on and blame the thing and that's what being entertained is it requires nothing of you you literally just go you are the passive observer of a thing which entertains you for reasons which you don't even begin to understand or endeavor to art 
is very different than entertainment in that you go and the first responsibility you have is to give something actually, right? Your responsibility as an audience member of something which is artistic is to create space in yourself to to create attention to find the thing which is meaningful in the the art or the the object in front of you. I think about relation a, a relationship with God in a really similar way where only in so far as you have begun by creating space in yourself and observing can you can you like receive God in some way and like have a meaningful understanding of that that you can then take right and that that because you've created space in yourself it's not temporary just in the moment that you experience it right like your 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 relationship with God if it becomes this like entertainment related phenomenon you experience it only in the space itself you don't know how to you don't know how to take it with you because you 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 weren't even prompted to um, and I think that's the thing that makes the entertainment level religiosity a little nervous for me that was Does that make sense? yeah that's beautiful that's very well put i like that so the question is though what do you think about uh the struggle and is this how the story ends Announcing what jesus did freedom from the captive good news to those that are struggling the struggle is not how your story ends. by this time next year you're going to see god turn it around what you thought was permanent is only temporary. What looks too big, you will defeat. What seems impossible, you will accomplish. How could this happen? There is a blessing on your life. You're in the year of God's favor. I'm announcing what Jesus did, freedom from the captive. Good news to those that are struggling. The struggle is not how your story ends. By this time next year, you're going to see God. Okay, so the thing to me that's problematic about this is the promise that things are gonna get better for you. I think that should not be, Pastor should not be in the business of selling that message because, well, guess what? Maybe things won't get better for you. Maybe things are going to get way worse for you. And Christianity at its strongest is a way of being able to handle that. 100%. And yeah. And, and, and I think basically preaching this kind of, uh, you know, stick with me, believe in God, AKA believe in me, <laughs> things are going to look up for you. Uh, everything's going to, everything's going to, going to get better. Like the way he said, you know, you'll find God within the next year or things will get better within the next, within the next year. To me, that that's, that's messed up. Also, why is this video embedded in like a fake iPhone mock-up? Like, what is, I'm already looking at this on my screen or on my computer. Why is it doubly embedded? I think he's got, this guy's kind of got a boomer social media style. What What's your take? I'm actually surprised there are only 53,000 Instagram likes. This guy's probably freaking out. He's not, he's not getting onto the new platforms with the same effectiveness True. That That's true. I bet you. It. I bet you. If we wanted to shill for Joel Osteen, he'd pay us to like rep him. I mean, we could consider it. We could consider <laughs> it. Um, yeah. No. Honestly, I think the truth is, if I wanted to, I could probably build uh, an evangelical megachurch pretty well. Like, I definitely have it in me to wear a suit and get on stage and be like this guy. Um, it's probably fun for him too. <laughs> I think. I mean, I think you should try. I do think we should give this dude some credit. Justin, you're you're being a little cocky about your ability to just redo Joel Austin. Okay. He's done a lot. He's a great business person. That takes that takes effort. That takes effort. Not that not that you wouldn't put in the hustle. True. No, that's true. It's true. So okay. So you have you have experience as a founder. You're you're a, a, a serial founder. One could say. Uh, what do you take? What's your take on the megachurch business from from a business perspective? Like, is it a good business model? Do you think? Uh, what oh, do you, what's sure. your take on it from that perspective? Yeah. I mean, if you can only experience God in 
<laughs> like if you're paying for God in that moment in time, like that's a phenomenal business model. You know, you're like, I won't actually teach you how to fish here. This isn't about being taught how to fish. This is about like you feel amped on juice with me right now. Um, and you don't remember what I said <laughs> when you leave because I literally didn't say anything. Uh, so you got to come back. Right, right. So there's a question in the chat of someone wants to know what, who makes the best Christian rock mixes, Marin? Oh, gosh. Do you, do you like any Christian music? Oh, you know, I used to love, I so I was only allowed to listen to Christian music and classical music until I was like 16 years old. Um, it was very sweet. My, my family would all like sing in the car, all this stuff on 94.9 FM, KLTY, if anybody knows it, rep it. Um, and, and I think there's just a permanent part of me that feels very endeared to, you can just tell the second, I mean, it takes sub two seconds to tell that a song is a Christian rock song. I feel like somehow, right. do you feel that way? You just have like yeah. a spidey sense for that? No, definitely. I mean, this is my whole critique of like Christian podcasts is like, if, if you want to do good Christian culture, like content, if you want to really rep Christianity effectively uh, as an artist or creator of any kind, you can't lay it on so thick that it's bad because it's Christian. And that's often what happens. It's like, if you're Christian and you want to make an artistic impact, just make the best art you possibly can. And the Christian aspects are going to shine through. It's going to have an impact, but it shouldn't be like overly explicitly Christian because then it's just try hard and it just becomes crappy art. I think that's what a, the problem with a lot of podcasts. And that's like why I'm trying to, uh, that's why I'm interested in doing a podcast that talks about Christianity that isn't lame because it's like, I'm a Christian. And I want to talk about these things, but the, I want to make a good podcast that's good on its own merits and just happens to be Christian. A lot of the mistakes people make is they want to make a Christian thing and then it ends up sucking. And that's, yeah. that's an insult. To, that's an insult to God. Well, and I think there's something. In, so two, th two, two thoughts. One, uh, Switchfoot. Do you remember Switchfoot? I remember the name, but never got into it. They, they, they did a pretty, pretty good job with this line. There's also a rapper that I'll, I'll need to share with you guys who is a Christian rapper, but is actually phenomenal. And you don't, you don't really know that about his story necessarily. Right. I think there's, I think there is something interesting about like what it, what is being accomplished by labeling something as overtly Christian? I, what is, what is making Christian artists feel the need to self-identify so entirely with that idea? Why can't they just make art that, they know to your point is in some in some way a kind of manifestation or realization you know objectification of their relationship with god um i don't see that happen that often right yeah i think that's that's basically totally right now what do you think about your other favorite genre of christian art the you found it the the christian romance novel uh, is this your favorite christian romance novel or what is honestly talking about this is like at least a little bit embarrassing because of just the sheer number of christian romance novels that i read as like an 11 12 13 year old um oh so you really read a bunch so okay um, so give us give I us a quick it. breakdown first of all what is a christian romance novel what's like the typical kind of like plot line i mean have you have you been in a lot of christian uh like bookstores hobby stores things like that no, like literally none. Oh my gosh. So tell me what am I missing? You well, 
there's just tons. There are tons and tons of books, and they're all they're all Christian. So do, do Christian romance novels have actual sex or is it all just like wholesome, like, like hinting and foreplay? Like they never get around to doing anything. There was a book that was very popular when I was 13 or so called like redemption or something. It, and the, the main character who's a woman had been, a, I mean, basically a sex worker. Right. And this is the, many of these Christian romance novels are set they're, they're historical fiction, um, which I actually find really interesting. The nostalgia, you know, the, the the aesthetic, like the aesthetic piece is strong, right? That Amish thing, like people don't dress like that, right? Um, so there are lots of like very gender norms, you know, uh, like very romantic set, scene, scene set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that that's very normal. But the, the way that they get sex in is those kind of asides of like, you know, somebody's wrestling with the shame of the emotion that they feel or whatever about another person and how to deal with that, which is actually really, really sexy, which is part of what's so uncomfortable about these books. Um, is it, gosh, I don't remember. I don't remember what book. There's some very famous French book. It's not Madame Bovary, something like that. Uh, and and they, they had it uh, to they had to censor this like sex scene in a carriage or something. Again, this is a totally secular book. Uh, they had to, they had to censor this sex scene, but when the, when they took it out, it actually made it like even more profoundly sexual because then you're just imagining like what is it that's happening? And I think that a lot of these books have this weirdness of feeling like in your reading them profoundly sexual in the fact that they play around all of this tension um, without without like letting you actually experience it and it being okay. And it really builds this shame that then makes you, as I did, sign away pledges saying that you will not kiss someone until you are 50 or until, until you're engaged. <laughs> wow. So it's kind of like stoking like sexual longings, but then also trying to contain them. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. And again, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It's like, so why, it, why? Go for go it. Well, no, I'm just thinking like, so for it to be a romance, there has to be some kind of like to, to get the plot suspenseful and interesting, presumably almost by definition, there has to be some pulling on, you know, the strings of lust to some degree. Yeah, I think so. I wonder if people have written about this or if this is unique to my experience, because I'm also like, maybe I was just like really a weird kid. <laughs> I was reading this, but no, I, I, I need to, I need to share specifically some of, some of the books because they do rotate pretty hard into, um, I mean, they're, they're very romantic. Like they are actually profoundly romantic. Like when I subsequently read Nicholas Sparks and whatever, I, I wasn't like, whoa, these are so much more romantic and, and emotionally moving and kind of sexual at some level than the, the Christian romance novels that I read. But there's a, there's a kind of self-consciousness of the shamefulness or something, or like the distance of all of that, that again, makes the books like really tense to, to read and very enveloping in a, in a, in a weird way. Right. Well, there's a good argument to be made that, you know, the the hottest, most intense kind of uh, erotic novel would be one in which sex is made as distant as possible. Totally. You kind of, you kind of alluded to that before. So in a weird way, like are these rom are these Christian romance novels actually like more intensely sexual than the average, like Fifty Shades of Grey, precisely because they're like so radically postponing any kind of uh, fruition? Maybe. I mean, aren't Christians supposed to have 
better sex. I thought this is known within their marriages. Um, the other thing this makes me think of is, do you know Mor Mormon porn? Have you no, heard of Mormon heard of porn? This, I'd love to know more. <laughs> it's like bubble porn. So <laughs> there are people who you know are naked, but the whole thing is masked. And then you'll only be able to see like little pieces of their body or whatever oh. behind yeah, you should look it up. Look up Mormon bubble porn. So this is like the way to participate without actually looking at a naked person, but they're freaking naked, you know? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, the, the 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 way that women are veiled in Islam is kind of a similar thing, right? Like, totally. you know, in a way, it probably makes these women hotter because, you know, like you, you want to, if, if you're, if you're like a, a Muslim man and you only ever see like veiled women, you probably want to see them naked so bad, like so much worse, like so much, so much worse than you would otherwise, probably. Well, I'm, I mean, I kind of joked about this before, but I'm, I think it would be really funny. I mean, this might actually just be true. We should look into this. A great, it would be a great conceit, you know, to have like way better sexual relationships in religious contexts than in these like sec, super secular, hyper sexed up context which i i roughly i roughly believe to be true um i would i would want to look again more more into into the research which i, which I believe is supportive of this uh but yeah no i told i completely buy that i mean i'm sure you've known people in your life who were good christians and they saved themselves for marriage and the way these people talk about the first time they had sex is like whoa i'm kind of like yeah, it kind of makes sense. It's probably fucking sorry. It's probably oh well. That's a, a pun in that. That's an appropriate uh, slippage there. But um, uh, yeah, it's probably freaking uh amazing. You know, when you like uh see sex as this kind of like thing that everyone does, no big deal. You can do it whenever you want, no big deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, it's just gonna feel a little bit cheaper. But when you're like when when you especially like you're a horny young man, you're like 17, 16, 18, and you're like you know you could be having sex with hot chicks and you're not, you're like, no, I'm going to save myself. I'm going to save myself. And then you get married when you're like 23 and you have sex for the first time, like on your wedding night, like it's probably the best ever. Like that's gotta be literally the best ever. I think. I hope so. I really hope so. That seems like a do reward. <laughs> if it's not, this is a sham. No, I feel like it is. I feel like it, I feel like it genuinely is. I mean, my experience, like we not to get too personal, but about well, this. It's a podcast, I guess that's the point, but like, like casual sex before you're married is pr generally like pretty lame. Like personally, I always felt kind of gross after it, even in the best of cases. Um, I never, it, I never really, for people out there listening to this who are younger or whatever, like, um, the truth is like any casual sex I had before getting married, there was always a weird negative feeling of some degree. Maybe it was more or less in some cases, but there was always some lingering, weird, unspeakable negative feeling for me personally after every single time and yeah i think people do, people do not talk about that enough like i mean where yeah. do you even hear anyone talk about that in public totally. culture at all so uh that's something that i think is like way underreported. you know you feel like when you're young you want to you want to have sex in part because you want to fit in in part because you want to feel like validated you want to you know prove to yourself that you're good looking and that you're attractive and 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 you know you're kind of a loser if you don't have sex when you're young nowadays in modern society uh mm -hmm. so you don't want to feel like a loser but i do think a lot of people actually you know, it does like more spiritual damage than people appreciate. And like, if you start talking like this, like I'm talking right now, you just sound like a totally dumb, boring grandpa, but I think it's real. What do you think? How, how much of, how much of that guilt around casual sex or that 
icky feeling, whatever you would call it. Do you, how much of that was culturally motivated? How much of that do you think religiously motivated? How much of that do you think is just baseline, like unavoidable biology? There's no, there's no world that can exist for us in the foreseeable future in which this is like something you can partake of. Um, I, I guess the truth is it's probably a large portion of it is personality trait based and, and it's probably, uh, you know, unique to me people do vary on things like discussed sensitivity and, you know, these, these are known to vary. And some people I think are more due to kind of inherited, uh, personality traits are more likely to be able to enjoy casual sex, uh, from, so I, I think I'm kind of higher on the personality dimensions that would, uh, you know, predispose someone to the the experiences or memories I'm reporting. But having said that, I think there's a lot, you know, um, there's a lot of people who have at least some type of memory or experience like the one that I'm like, so what I'm saying is what I'm saying won't hold true for everybody, but I suspect for most people, uh, what I'm describing is generally underreported. I think the number of people that in the world who have the personality traits where you can have a lot of casual sex and truly, come out of that without any negative feelings or any like unspoken kind of spiritual damage. I think they probably exist. I feel like I have, you know, I have met some people I think who are like super, you know, into like polyamory and that kind of stuff. And like, Mm -hmm. they seem to genuinely be reporting that they can have as much casual sex as they want. And it's all just a good thing. And there's no downside. I guess you have to take people at their word at some point. Um, So there's probably a small number of people who can say that honestly, but I don't think it's many. And I think there's a lot of people who, you know, actually do feel spiritual damage from it, but they just, keep doing it because it's the thing to do. It's funny because I, and as you're talking about polyamory, there's, there's a level, my my first thought was like, oh yeah, I guess people have a lot of shame around this kind of thing. And maybe they achieve an openness that lets them kind of immediately experience the, the pleasure of what it could be to like have, have sex with people. And if you're sufficiently shameless, then you're open and then this is fine. Um, I think the flip side is there's, there's something to be said for closeness. Like I think we live in a society that really values the idea of shamelessness, total openness. Uh, we haven't spoken about liberalism yet. I don't know what your takes on on liberalism are, but um, the like hyper hyper individual, hyper open, hyper free. Uh, I'm against you know, it. I'm against I want, it. I want Never. A, I want a papal monarchy that is yes. highly contained and constrained. I mean, I do. I'm I'm being half serious in that. I mean, I think ultimately people should be free to like choose whatever political systems they prefer. Like uh, at the end of the day, I'm I'm a libertarian in that sense. But then I think I would personally choose a uh, highly traditional papal monarchy where it's like sex before marriage is illegal. You know, watching movies with like violence illegal? or sex in in the movies should be illegal. Uh, like any unwholesome activities, pre- should pretty much should be illegal and punished with the with the with uh severe vengeance we should, i think that's we what should. i would choose what would you choose yeah. i mean we need to study societies that are or or p- points in history that have been more governed by ideas of wholesomeness or religion or whatever we have lots of lots of good examples we can draw from um what one one quick thought that that i'll mention which is funny is that i'm very excited about the fact that we differ in this like protestant catholic and not I'm I'm interested in learning more. I'm open. And that feels like genuinely very healthy and and good. And I'm happy that we agree relatively more on this um 
like sexual openness dimension or whatever somehow. And and I think that's kind of remarkable some at some level, like that this like ideological disagreement or whatever would be a thing which can be like played with and fun and like feel actually like there's lots of wiggle space there. Whereas at 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 the at the level of like this intimate thing, somehow there's like less not not that we shouldn't still talk about it and whatever, but I feel sa- I feel safer. It feels like an important baseline somehow almost. Um, yeah, I hear that. I hear that. So how 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 authoritarian and anti-liberal do you want to be on sexual matters? What is your ideal society like? Are uh, pornographic movies outlawed and punished with the severest vengeance, or are no, they? No, we're definitely different in that sense. No, 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 we're 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 different. I have not. I have have not had and do not have casual sex. Um, h- however, I Wait, did you also, say you never you never do? No, 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 no. Wow, interesting. Definitely so, not. so okay, that's fascinating. Uh, I, well, first of all, I appreciate your uh, sharing and transparency. So, you personally have always lived a very, uh, very kind of self constrained, pretty traditional like lifestyle when it comes to these things yourself. Yeah, and I, I also, I, again, I want to be really clear. Like, I fully believe that a lot of people have healthier relationships with sex than I do and have more sexual partners and that that is valid and that you can have a very healthy relationship with God, you know, by whatever your your concept is and that you can be a good Christian and that you like, this is not, this is not something I believe is, uh, and we should we should talk about how you know how foundational we think this is to to the doctrine more just as like a personal co-host level my own sense of safety um preference uh and something that i wish that that people spoke about more openly than they do i think there are too too few spaces that um talk about the the merit or virtue of like you know closeness and thoughtfulness in your in your like sexual relationships with people and who take who take that with a kind of a real degree of um, piousness. I don't know, like aspire to a sacred space with that. I think, I think it's something which, I mean, to go, to go back to uh, Durkheim, right. And the function of religion being the delineation between what is sacred and what is profane. I think there's something important feeling about having sexual relationships be sacred. Um, and I don't know how to accomplish that if they are also like perfectly open personally interested in talking about it. But I I think that, I think that um, sexuality having a sacredness is baseline healthy, creates healthier societies, creates healthier families, et cetera. I love that. I mean, I completely agree. Like now that I'm an older man, but uh, that's after like being a degenerate in my twenties. So that's Mm -hmm. really interesting though, that you've kind of maintained this as a personal lifestyle, which is really interesting to learn. And I have so much respect for that. So, I mean, you're saying that you feel like people should be more open about this. So I hope you'll forgive me if I like ever ask a question that's too personal. You can always like decline if you don't want to answer a question, but can I like, have you ever done the deed? Can I ask that? Oh yes, I have. <laughs> okay. So, so you're not like, you're not like a perfect, perfect angel. No, 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 no. Okay. I'm not a perfect, okay. <laughs> perfect angel. All right. Interesting. That would, that would, yeah, that would be hard. I don't know many. I don't I've know known a couple. Okay. Yeah. I've known a couple. And uh, yeah, I listen to those stories of honeymoon night and I'm just like, Whoa, it sounds like, this is probably worth it. Uh, the wait, the wait is worth it. So kids out there, if you're listening to this, consider saving yourself for marriage. I think it's honestly a very noble thing to do if you have it in you. And, uh, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not being like a boomer grandpa, but, um, yeah, I, how do you feel about like sex and violence and things like that in culture? I'm strong. I'm so against this. Um, I hate violence in movies. I hate sex in movies. I genuinely would like to see both of those like completely removed. Are you cool with that? Or you don't have, do you have any opinions on that? I keep, 
I keep thinking about research. Like so many of the things that we talk about, I'm like, what is the research? There's research on this. Like people, right. people know things about, about this. And I actually think that um, some of what I find interesting about your defense of Christianity, if you will, uh, is, is, you know, the kind of boots on ground, like this is a, this is a useful system. Like there's a, there's an uh, enough there that you can defend empirically that it, it strikes you as interesting. Uh, and I think with all of these ideas of sex and culture, it's, there are so many, there are so many very good examples of sex becoming a weapon, became, becoming weaponized against women, you know, um, really keeping people from freedoms. Uh, and I think that that is m more, I mean, our, our history as a species is rough with unfreedoms having to do with sex and oftentimes connected with religion. So I don't, take it lightly to um to talk about like you know where the where the lines should be or what barriers should be i think historically those have been those have been drawn in ways that have you know oppressed a lot of people and uh all that said at the level of my own choice for how i would raise my own children or aspire to have my own family i think uh i'd probably be i'm probably going to be like somewhat strict nice yeah, I and I completely agree with you that if you want to have a sophisticated conversation about this, you have to look at the research. Uh, and that's totally right. But it's a podcast. And the point of podcasting is just talking about things out of school. So uh, and yeah. but actually, for what it's worth, I, um, I when I was, uh, uh, you know, academic, I actually a lot of my research kind of specialized in media effects. So I can tell you, actually, it just so happens. I don't know too much about too much, but uh, it just so happens. I do know a fair bit about this research and the general implication of the findings is that basically there's just not a lot of good evidence that violence or sex in movies and culture or video games has much of an effect there, you can find some studies that find slight effects but you can find a lot of studies that find no effect so yeah. when you when you kind of average across all of the research that has been done on this is very underwhelming for people yeah. who are you know claiming that uh these types of of public culture have negative effects there's just not a lot of evidence for that but i think that that is somewhat beside the point, like to me, I just think movies that have sex and violence are, I don't like them. I think they're, they, I, I just think that they're uh, intrinsically bad for people to watch and things can be bad. Things can be intrinsically bad and unwholesome and have no effects that are traceable of any kind. Right. Mm -hmm. it, like there, I think there's such thing as kind of like purely spiritual damage that has no correlates in like observable behaviors or metrics. So you know, I think hmm. the, 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 the underwhelming evidence of negative effects on the research on this type of media doesn't really, um, you know, doesn't really satisfy my, my, my hunch that, I mean, I, I just find personally when I watch movies that like, I think, I think it's getting more and more extreme to a point. I'm, I just, I'm, I'm really kind of horrified by like, like gore and things like hurting people, like watching someone get shot in the head and watching like blood explode on the wall behind them it really hurts my soul. Like when I see mm -hmm. that, it really causes like severe pain in me um, in a way that like, I just can't believe people watch that stuff. Um, I always look away. And if I, if, if it happens so fast that I can't look away, I seriously feel pained. And I'm seriously like, this is so perverse and disgusting that we allow people in our society to create this type of content. And, um, and the way it happens unexpectedly, like, you know, people talk about people want trigger warnings on like college, you know, reading lists, but no one is asking for a trigger warning. Like right before I see someone's head blown off, 
Like I want a freaking trigger warning right before someone's head is blown off so I can look away. Cause that, I feel that's like that's, actually that's called an R rating. An R rating. They actually do have very sophisticated trigger. I guess you're right. Things. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Maybe I maybe I just should not watch R-rated movies. Maybe you're right. They'll they'll tell you even sub pieces for why something was rated R. You can check those out. I actually was raised with um kidsinmind.com. I was absolutely not allowed to watch gore, sex, etc. And my parents would go to kidsinmind.com. I, I'm almost positive that's what it was. Um I, I wasn't allowed to watch my first PG-13 movie until I was like 15 years old. I saw I saw like a couple of PG-13 movies total before I left for college. So I empathize with the the gore thing. Also, hysterically, I, I happen to have been part of one research project about uh, the effects from, from video game violence on kind of violence in the world, uh, like boots on ground. This is just like a small, a small research project with a professor. When I was an undergrad, because I was curious about the same thing, and and I mean, found found the, the same result. It was kind of untraceable. I find the idea of like maybe there are spiritual dimensions of ourselves which can incur spiritual damage in ways which we genuinely cannot measure uh, to be a really interesting question. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know how how to think about that, but it's an interesting it's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah, totally. That, I mean, that's just kind of my hunch. So, I mean, I feel like what I'd like to see is more kind of political fragmentation where like all the people who feel like that, who, like I described, yeah, like they should have their own kind of like papal authoritarian monarchy. Uh, and then people who like, like watching people get murdered on movies and people having sex on movies, like they can have their own like liberal permissive uh, little polity. I feel like you should be introduced to like more of Christian culture. It's funny because I know, I know a lot of the thesis the thesis is like much of Christian culture is very cringe. Um, and totally, I mean, for sure. I think that, I think the level deeper than that is like, there's actually really sophisticated um, sets of media and literature and, you know, spaces and music and all these things, which, uh, which have, I don't know, I guess you, I'm curious what your thesis would be for why they, they have maybe executed the wholesomeness that you're looking for, but not the quality. Yeah. It's a good question. It's a really good question. Well, I think it goes back to what I was saying before about how the problem with legit Christians who are like good Christians who fully identify with it and are, you know, better behaved than I am is that because they become good Christians, they're sometimes unable to really be truly artistically or intellectually radical. I think that is a mm. fact. I think that is an unfortunate fact. And I'm not throwing shade mm. on like I admire people who are better Christians than me. I admire their wholesomeness and and their their superior ethics and their uh, their superior, deeper faith. I really do admire it. But I do think one of the prices you pay is you just become less and less able to really see or pursue radical artistic or intellectual visions. Mm. And for good reason, right? Because radical artistic or intellectual visions, you know, are dangerous, right? They shoot you off into who knows where. And that is at a high risk of being unwholesome. It's at a high risk of, you know, being uh, harmful in, in certain ways to yourself or to your community. So it makes mm -hmm. sense. Like there is a real contradiction and a tension there and, and a trade-off there. And yeah, so that's why what I'm interested in is like, can you pri prioritize an, a genuine radical artistic or intellectual vision and go after that full speed ahead while also being a good Christian? That's mm -hmm. the puzzle I'm interested in. That's that's the the nut I'm trying to crack. What do you what mm -hmm. do you think? Like maybe is a, is this an irresolvable tension? And if you want to be a good Christian, you better resign yourself to making relatively cringe. Uh, works of culture or 
No, I think it's really profound and actually really, really interesting. Uh, there's so much self-censorship that happens in being Christian and in really like trying to take that seriously in every right. action in your in your daily life. Um, and I ca- you know carried that very heavily through my childhood, through my adolescence, um, and even as I've made my faith very much my own to the point where I I wouldn't tend to identify with people as being Christian because I think it would be kind of duplicitous of me to you know it, they'd have a lot of expectations about what that would mean to me that would feel unfair um, to, to identify with. But I think that that's the piece, which is, which is important is, um, if you become primarily, if you come to primarily live to serve God or to serve Christ and for your life to be a vessel for their intent, it's, I mean, that's a huge burden. Like that's a tremendous, that's a tremendous burden. Um, and I think the I think the only way to get around it is probably just like a sheer vulnerability or something you know, like a sheer open, open wrestling with the shame. I don't Mm. know. Well, you still, you just alluded to yourself, not calling yourself Christian because you Mm -hmm. feel like you can't live up to that. But honestly, like having talked with you now for a few hours about this, I, I think that's baloney. I feel like you're definitely a Christian. Like you're a better Christian than I am. It, and it, it really depends on what, so my, you know, I was raised in a way where the, the important and singular thing, which one must believe to be a Christian is that Christ literally died and was literally resurrected for, for our sins. And as we, as we spoke about before, I do not think that the body of Christ, I do, I do believe Jesus was probably a real historical figure who's important, a radical, a zealot, if you will. Uh, if you haven't read Zealot, you should. It's actually pretty good. Um, oh, I read that book. It is good. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and I believe in the philosophy, you know, both both his own um, and in much of what has been built around it is just tremendously powerful um, and meaningful to me. But I don't, I, I don't, there's not a literalism there for me that it feels, it feels disqualifying, but it's an interesting question. I would love to, I would love to talk to pastors about it. I mean, there might be a lot more flexibility than I even understand or was raised with that is acceptable. Yeah. yeah I suspect there is. I mean, I, I guess I already told you my take on that. I'm, I'm completely with you. I'm like, I can't really believe that this guy was killed and then literally resurrected out of the tomb. Like that. I've never heard of that happening. I have no reason to believe that could ever happen. Like, I just can't believe that based on what I know about how the world works. But in my view, kind of like the whole rest of it seems true. So I'm just going to assume that that resurrection story is true in some way that I don't understand. <laughs> and yeah, like, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool and fun to just like believe in something that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Honestly, like part of me thinks that's kind of like the, that there, that's part of what the magic and beauty of faith is. It's like, you're kind of purposely saying, you know, not everything in the world makes sense. And maybe you have to pick up just a couple things in the world where it doesn't make sense, but you're just going to believe it anyway. Cause it's powerful and cool to do that. And it's beautiful to do that. And it kind of like opens up new, it opens up like a new space for thinking and feeling and being uh, to believe in just one or two things that literally don't make sense. Maybe that kind of is what faith is. Maybe that's like mm-hmm. a, a, an intrinsically defensible and good position to have. Uh, maybe that that's what, that's like the best I can do, but I'm with you. I would love to hear from someone who knows what they're talking about and like totally like resurrection pill me. Yeah. Yeah. It, this, has me thinking about the transference idea again from earlier where I find 
for example, that either I can loop by myself in anxiety <laughs> in my own mind, or I can create an object level thing, which is God, which I am interacting and engaging with, even though that, you know, obviously God is not like speaking directly back to me. Um, and th that act of prayer somehow tangibility of, of that is, is very, uh, is very meaningful in a way I've never, I've never been able to re recreate outside of that dynamic, um, which feels important somehow. Yeah, I hear you on that. So, hey, we just crossed the hour mark. I think we should wrap this up. And if you're watching on YouTube, please go ahead and subscribe and click the little bell so you get a notification next time Marin and I hop on here and you can join us again. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, please, 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 I would be most grateful if you would go and leave a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think. It's We, genu we genuinely will read them and we want to know what your what your input is, what your feedback is. Uh, if you like it, obviously, we would love to, to know why or, or to hear that. And, uh, you know, if you think there's something we could do better or you want us to talk about something, you know, that you're interested in, please leave a review on iTunes and let us know. We, we, we read them closely. And, um, yeah, so thank you very much for hanging out with us, everybody. Uh, this is fun. I'm, I'm uh, really enjoying this, Marin. I think we're getting into some good grooves. What's your kind of, like, post-episode two analysis or feeling at the moment? My feels. I, fe I feel good. I mean, I feel... Um... Like I'm realizing that I have this just huge backlog of like personal thoughts, ruminations, experiences that I've, again, not not really verbalized. And uh, I hope that as we keep going, we get we get better at, you know, finding finding the words and we can start to integrate more. But um, I just hope other people have similar experiences and can kind of benefit from being part of the discourse with us. Do, you do, think do, do leave comments like do seriously on I'm, I'm genuinely curious for for things you wish we were saying or things you disagree with us about I think to the degree this can be a, a space which is not just about us um that's really meaningful yeah totally leave good comments on YouTube or leave a review on iTunes and we will bring into the conversation things that you mention or ask us to talk about um do you feel like we're doing the Lord's work yet Marin or no <laughs> <gasps> I think, I mean, I think we're always doing the Lord's work. Mm, mm. I'm, it's interesting getting to know you better, like through this, like live <laughs> medium, because, uh, yeah, like, I don't know that much about you. So it's, it's genuinely pretty interesting to learn like new things about you. Like, I didn't know that you, you were actually always so like, you actually live a pretty, uh, Christian lifestyle. I admire that. And, and that's cool. To, that's cool to learn. I, uh, I don't know if I do. I, I, I wouldn't identify that way. I, I appreciate the comment, but we'll, we'll get, we'll get more into it for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So much more to talk about. We'll save our topics for next time. We're going to do at least a handful more of these, uh, at least once or twice a week. So do stay tuned. Do, if you're if watching on uh, YouTube, subscribe to the podcast so you can listen later on your phone and, uh, yeah, let us know what you think. And we'll be back on here soon. Marin, thank you so much for doing this with me. And I look forward to talking with you next time. Totally. Vice versa. All right. Thanks, Marin. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.